Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. Welcome to the Common Bridge. We have a great topic with a great expert today, Dan Dotson, the Chief Executive Officer of Fortified Health Security. I'd also like to start this podcast off by thanking the many listeners to the podcast, now over three quarters of a million downloads, 750,000 and rising fast. Thank you very much. For those of you that have yet to subscribe, please do so on Apple, Amazon, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio. Spotify, or most other places you get your podcast, or of course on YouTube TV, and register for free at richardhelpy.com because we've got some really good things coming. So let me introduce our guest today, and his entire bio will be up on our website, richardhelpy.com. Dan L. Dotson is the Chief Executive Officer of Fortified Health Security. Fortified is a recognized leader in cybersecurity focusing on protecting patient data and reducing risk in the healthcare industry. Again, remember, healthcare industry is the largest part of our economy, and it's important to all of us, a lot of interaction with data. He's backed by a great team of cybersecurity consultants, produced an industry-leading report called the Horizon Report. This examines the state of cybersecurity in healthcare. It's very comprehensive, semi-annually. It's free for all industry stakeholders. I think it just shows Dan's commitment to the industry. Dan Dotson is a featured media source on many topics, including securities best practices, data privacy strategies, risk management, and mitigation. He also welcomes any opportunity to discuss the latest findings in the Horizon Report, along with the ever-growing security challenges being faced in a post-COVID-19 world. Dan's everywhere. He's been in Security Magazine, Associated Press, Medical Economics, Health IT Security, Med City News and Cybersecurity Drive. He's not a newbie at this. He's been leading business units for healthcare consultant Santa Rosa Consulting as an executive vice president. He's been global healthcare strategy lead for Dell Services, where he was responsible for the strategy, the business planning, and merger and acquisition initiatives for that healthcare business unit. He's led strategic efforts for other healthcare and health insurance organizations, including the Covenant Health System and the Parker Group. Dan was featured by Becker's Hospital Review, again, a leading authority in healthcare, as a rising healthcare leader under 40 in Justin 218, and he has served on the Southern Methodist University Cybersecurity Advisory Board. So we're very fortunate that Dan's agreed to spend a few minutes with us today to talk about cybersecurity. Dan, welcome, and I hope that everybody will pay attention as you introduce the topic. We're going to try to go from A to Z and 40 minutes or so. Rich, thank you so much for that uh, that introduction and super happy to be here and look forward to the conversations this morning. So today we're going to talk about cyber attacks and countermeasures, cybersecurity. What is it? How does it work? What makes people want to engage in cybercrime? Where does it come from? How to prevent it and how to guard against becoming a victim? Dan, our audience likes to know a little bit about our guests. So can you tell us where did you spend your early days? Yeah, thanks, Rich, for sure. So 
Um, I've always been intrigued with healthcare. From a little boy, my neighbor started and exited a medical billing organization. So I saw him build this business on the administrative side of healthcare, was a mentor for me then and still is today. And so that led me on a journey to pursue the support of healthcare. And I ended up in healthcare IT, started at Texas Tech University, have an MBA in health organization management, and really been in uh, healthcare IT since it had the boon uh, in the backs of our, right? So there was all this money coming into healthcare to digitize it. I helped drive initiatives uh, in the early days at ProSystems, which led to, to Dell Services, as you kind of outlined in the intro, and then really focused a lot on the EHR, working with Santa Rosa, some other organizations. EHR is electronic health record. Yes, sir, the electronic health record. And what I found was on the backs of this boon in digitization, there wasn't this focus on security, right? And there, it was an infrastructure issue. So the networks that these electronic health records were sitting on sometimes were legacy and cobbled together through the consolidation of health systems, which has a tr been a trend in healthcare. And so there were pockets of vulnerabilities, but now we had all this rich data. And so I got intrigued with the cybersecurity elements and have been focused in that for the last five plus years. And, and we at Fortified Health Security have built a, a really nice business helping predominantly health systems secure patient information and, you know, the good guys on the opposite end of, uh, of cyber attacks. So when the bad guys are trying to get in, you've got layers of technology and human beings that try to keep them out. Yeah, that's that's right, Rich. I mean, I think the, the dynamics in cybersecurity is really people, process, and technology. And so what a lot of people hear about are the advances of technology, and that's great. But in order to actually let that technology reduce risk and protect patients, you have to have experts and process around that technology to actually drive the value. And so that's really what we focus on is making sure that layered technology stack, uh, so to speak, is functioning correctly to actually thwart off these bad actors. And, and you know, look, the public has heard a lot about cyber attacks. And, you know, we're told to protect our passwords. We're told to use encryption, guard our phones, keep a close eye on our bank records, use dual authentication. That means you get a text after you sign on and say, is this really you? And yet we're still told perhaps our information is out in someplace called the dark web. We've seen the shutdown of the Colonial Pipeline due to a ransomware attack. And I hope we get into that a little bit today. And and, you know, look, we're, we're in an interconnected world. A photo that someone takes right now can literally be around the world in the blink of an eye. And that includes our personal financial information. That could be whisked away as well. And the world's getting more interconnected. There's more devices on the web. It's the Internet of Things. And now we hear about artificial intelligence programs that are just searching out our vulnerabilities all the time. You know, it's pretty frightening, frankly. So let's, let's just dive into cybercrime, cybersecurity, what the future holds. And I know we're going to get some education and, and maybe some policy ideas and maybe some personal things that each of us can do. So, Dan, is there a simple definition for cybercrime or cyber attack? Just like when we throw those words out, what do we mean? Yeah, I would say simply put, Rich, it's a coordinated effort to damage or destroy electronic information, right? And, and once you do that, you can exploit it in multiple different ways. And we could talk about those ways that you can exploit it. But, you know, very simply, it's trying to uh, you know, damage or destroy sensitive information. And so cybersecurity is kind of the countermeasure to that, or is it a better definition than that? 
Yeah, it, precisely, Rich. I mean, think of it as the the good guys, right? So the cybersecurity initiatives, programs, capital deployment within businesses, the personal things we can do. Those are countermeasures, if you will, to protect that information. And we try to do that through a layered approach, but that that's right. What are some of the types of cyber attacks? And, and bearing in mind that our audience is not healthcare or technology or certainly not cybersecurity experts, but you know, we've heard about ransomware, denial of service, phishing. Can, is there a kind of a compendium of the types of cyber attacks that we're experiencing? Yeah, I, I think the most common cyber attacks are going to be what the what's labeled as ransomware. Technically, what that is, simply put, Rich, is a bad actor has gotten into your environment and is holding your data for ransom. And if you pay the ransom, they'll unlock the data. Conceptually, that's how it's supposed to work. But the actual exploit is what's called malware, right, which is a virus in the old days. And so it's actually the malware that enables the ransomware. And so when we think about the psyche of these bad actors, majority of the time they're out for monetary gain. They want your money. And so they figured out that ransom is a great way to get money versus just simply selling it on the dark web. Let me actually hold the the business or the person you know, hostage so that you know they're more likely to pay. So if I understand, so there's a piece of malware, they penetrate the network, they put it on someone's network, and then the business, all of a sudden their computers don't work and they're told, got to pay ransom, usually in some kind of digital currency, and then they'll give you the key to turn it back on. Otherwise, we're going to just destroy it. Right. And so you as a business are backed into a position of either restoring from backups that you have, simply put other copies of your infrastructure and your applications that you might have as part of your, you know, your IT strategy or pay the ransom to get the key. Now, what what's often not talked about as much is once you receive the key, you still have to cleanse all of your machines. You have to make sure that they're not in your environment anymore. It's extraordinarily costly. And what's really interesting from a timing perspective, Rich, it kind of talks about the psyche of these criminals is look at what happened in Ireland. The national health system gets locked out. The bad guys hold it ransom. And then they say, wait a minute, we didn't really want to disrupt care, but we are. So we're going to give you the key for free so that you can begin the repair process. And so the layman might think, oh, I put the key in, boom, I'm back up and I can use my electronic health record. It's not that simple, but I am still holding your data. So I'm going to let you go back to business and protect communities because I'm not that bad. But if you want your data not to be exposed, you still got to pay. Oh, boy. That's a great way to think about the psyche of these bad actors. And and that's the driving force is the monetary gain. So they've got like two ways to illicitly prosper. One is that the target victim here pays a ransom. And the second way is they've got my social security number. They've got my credit card number. They've got all my insurance information. They you know, they may have sensitive data that, you know, people wouldn't want out, you know, about their, you know, medical care, particularly mental health case and that type of thing. And that's maybe why I know I've gotten notices before people say, hey, you, you've got an account with us and we've been breached. So we're going to buy you a security service. So they've got multiple ways to make money off this. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. And, and you, you hear sometimes in the, I mean, it's been covered by lots of national news lately around the cost of a healthcare breach to the organization that is ransomed or that is attacked or, or exploited. But and in the personal side, you know, if your banking information gets compromised, as you just talked about, you change your password, you change your account, you can do that. 
Well, healthcare in the US is primarily driven by your social security number. And so part of the reason it's valuable is because they can monetize it and it's not easily changed. You can't change it. That's number one. Number two is, Rich, the data set, it becomes more valuable every day as individuals in that data set become eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, I can fraudulently bill. So there's like, there's just like so many avenues for them to exploit the medical information and then sell it, obviously. They've got your cell phone number. Uh, cell phone, social. So, you know, Dan, is the objective of these cyber criminals different if the target's a nation? I know there's been talk of national security issues. If it's a, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase or a big business, or if the target's an individual. I mean, I understand healthcare with all that rich data, but how risky is it right now for our nation that bad actors, foreign actors or crime networks can actually maybe disrupt our ability to respond to a military threat? You know, Rich, I, I think that in second half of 20, and I talked a lot about this, there was a there was a call to arms as I think about it in healthcare, primarily because we're seeing massive dif- disruption to care in our community. So ultimately, you know, when we think about cybersecurity, we t- typically think about like confidentiality, integrity, and availability, CIA. In healthcare, it's all about availability. We have to be able to serve the patients in our community. And what we started to see was these massive disruptions on the ability to deliver care. When I talk to hospitals and they go down, their system goes down, they've been digitized for 15 years. They don't know how to work on paper. They don't know how to operate like that. We've been digitized now. And so I can't deliver care. I have to divert care. Those are big disruptions. And so I think there's a huge human element to it that's unique to healthcare that you may not see in financial services. Certainly don't want to lose money, obviously. And, you know, healthcare, the stakes are high. And then you mentioned on the intro, you know, colonial pipeline. I mean, this is this is an infrastructure issue. And the question is, how do we put policies in place to help fight it? Exactly. And any way to quantify this, like how big of an issue is a cyber crime and cyber attacks? Does anybody say, hey, there's 10 a day or, you know, 100 a day or a million a day? Any way to put a number on that? So there's uh, a couple of different statistics I'd share, Rich. So one is that there was a study done by a Checkpoint, I believe, which is a healthcare, uh, excuse me, which is a cybersecurity company that said, one in 39 health systems have had some type of ransomware activity in their environment. You know, we, we think that number is, may actually be greater, candidly. When you think about reportable successful attacks or breaches, as they're called, in healthcare, that's a reportable event So to the government. So if you have more than 500 records exposed, you must report it. In the first five months of this year, 255 organizations have been compromised, greater than 500. Well, and I know that healthcare was not the first target. The first target really was our national security. And then it was, you know, banks and financial institutions. So these bad actors are really honing their trade elsewhere before they come, you know, right at all of us in healthcare. And what's being done in the area of cybersecurity, if we think about that, like, what is the federal government doing to protect our missile systems and our social security systems and what our business is doing. And I know that the the bad actors are using artificial intelligence where the computers are learning about the computers. What about the countermeasures? And is there any chance that, you know, maybe our national security services protect businesses and ultimately healthcare and ultimately consumers. What's going on on the protection side? Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for improvement, Rich. Uh, and I think that, you know, at the, the the second half of 20 in the Trump administration and into the Biden administration, you know, they, they are starting to take cybersecurity a lot more serious. 
I'm not, by no stretch a policy expert. You know, there was some executive orders that Trump pushed through at the end. There's some that Biden's pushed through. There's this notion that the government's going to go to zero trust model, um, which is a long, complicated technical journey to make sure that the sources that are talking are known. I'll, I'll leave it there, simply put. But that's a long multi-year journey that's expensive. I think the government has been focused certainly on the infrastructure that they have for the FBI, the CIA, the counterterrorism, things that they do, et cetera. They were the creators of the ability to navigate in the dark web. You know, folks think about the dark web. So, you know, there's kind of like simply put kind of three layers to the, the internet, if you will. You know, you, you all see kind of surface layer, which is you go to Google and you go to a different source and it pops up. That's fine. And then there's kind of like the deep web, which is, hey, I've got to log in. This is like where your banking information is. It's protected. It's encrypted. And you have the dark web. And the dark web was designed in the 70s for individuals and agencies in the government to navigate without being tracked, again, simply put. And so bad actors have used the ability of the dark web to navigate without being traced. And so... There's good to that, and then there's bad to that. And so what we hear about is the bad, but there is some good. And so I think the government's done and has some success stories rich in, in working on countermeasures in the dark web to stop some of this exploitation. But there's certainly ways to go. You know, I think in healthcare, what is complicated for us is we work with hundreds of health systems of all sizes, community hospitals, large IDNs, and everybody's at a different point in their cybersecurity journey. So everybody needs something different, Rich. And so how do you write a policy or deploy capital at a federal level when literally everybody needs something different? They're all at a different at a different place. And I'm sure that transcends other industries as well. And so that becomes the regulatory, you know, challenge when it thinks about actually executing and deploying capital to, you know, create the countermeasures that we need. Well, I like the sounds of no trust environment and I like the fact that our federal government is leading that because if we can get those protocols and national standards right, then maybe we have a chance. And I'm sure there'll be a counter strike to that countermeasure. And I, I wouldn't imagine there's any way to know who's winning these days. But yeah, I know, look, I've been in your security operations center and you had some technology that was actually showing threats like where they were originating from. And it just lit up the screen. They were coming from Eastern Europe and from South America and every place else. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. And, you know, the interesting thing, Rich, is the threat landscape. When I talk to friends and people that aren't in cybersecurity, it's like, oh, I have this kind of vision of a of a person in a hoodie, you know, like trying to hack away at trying to get into your data. And yes, that exists. And that's a real threat. but the big threat is, are these nation state actors with thousands of people, coordinated efforts. And you, you talked about AI and ML. Artificial intelligence and machine learning. Okay. Machine learning. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. Right. Which, which, you know, again, simply put, allows a known vulnerability to be exploited faster. So ba basically what happens in, in the software world is there are glitches or vulnerabilities to software, meaning they could be exploited. And when a reputable, and they all do it, a software company recognizes this, they tell people about it so you can fix it. And so typically what you saw was software company X says, hey, this is a vulnerability. Everybody that's running that software patches that vulnerability. And now the bad actors can't exploit that and get your information. Right. Well, what's happened with artificial intelligence and machine learning is the time from known vulnerability to exploit has shortened. So they're moving faster. So you have more individuals sponsored by nation states moving faster. And so the countermeasure to that is we're using, the good guys are using machine learning and AI to 
put countermeasures in place so that we can kind of, you know, punch and punch back and, and try to stay ahead of each other. It's like the shootout at the OK Corral being played out in cyberspace in a, a massive game of spy versus spy in, in cyberspace. A- a- absolutely. Amazing. And, you know, if we keep the analogy going, it was like, hey, we, we know where the hideout of the bad guys are. We're going to go raid right from the Old West to, you know, the mobsters in Chicago to modern day criminals. Is it hard to find the culprits that are launching these cyber attacks? So, so here, here's the challenge, Rich. So we can track where it's coming from. We don't know where it originated, right? Because it can originate somewhere else and bounce around this dark web and then come from country X. But it's like, I don't know if that's where it originated. Now, there are, there are the government and, and, and you, you've heard about these groups or cells, if you were, that are caught. And so it's a confidence level that they believe that this was the set of bad actors that did this. But to say that we know that it was this person in this location, I mean, it's almost impossible to pinpoint it precisely. I was talking to a, a fellow that his job with the Department of Homeland Security was crimes against children. And there was a ring operating in Korea, South Korea. These people that indulge in that horrible crime, they would subscribe using a digital currency like a Bitcoin. The Bitcoin ended up, it had to go into a bank eventually into the local currency and they intercepted that. That let them back up to the server. That let them find who was doing it and it got them all their subscribers. And really sick part about this, but also good news for the good guys, is that there was a price for people to view this child pornography and there was another price if you wanted to contribute, which meant they were perpetuating acts. Some guy sitting in Peoria, Illinois, or Tuncumcari, New Mexico, thinking he's indulging this, gets a knock on his door because of the great cyber sleuthing that goes on. So we just, it, and I can't imagine the cost of that. And I hope that the infrastructure bill, uh, which we've covered a couple times now with Dr. Uh, Rick Geddes, put some money in behind that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are, I'm glad you mentioned that, Rich. There are thousands of threats every day that are successfully blocked or diverted by cybersecurity organizations, by businesses themselves. We always hear about the ones that are unsuccessful, but there are countermeasures that are working. Um, there are organizations that are deploying people and technology to thwart off these these bad actors. And so it's not all negative. There is some positive successes as you as you talk about there. So Dan, in addition to the zero trust, which sounds like a pretty good policy to me, is there any national or perhaps international policies that might be effective? And and if this is part and parcel of the question, it seems it would make sense that there's got to be coordination amongst nations and amongst businesses if this is going to work. Is there anything else that's on the horizon or that you recommend that that we ought to be doing? So one thing is, and I think we've actually made strides in this area, Rich, is to share information. The bad guys are sharing information. They are talking about successful exploits. And what we're starting to see is the good guys share information. In my world, um, there's an information sharing organization called the Health ISAC. There's other for financial services, and it's an information sharing collaborative. So those health systems and healthcare organizations can subscribe to that. Fortified works with them as well um, to share information so that we can learn from each other. So I think there's been progress in there. There's certainly uh, more progress to be made. And I think the veil of, of embarrassment and concern of retaliation from the government is starting to subside. So we see a lot more engagement with the FBI when we have a bad event. 
that's all positive. We've got to share more information. I think that the coordination between different countries becomes extraordinarily challenging given the political landscape across the world. You can use your imagination to think through where a lot of these threats are originating. Those are the same countries and regions where we have multi-layered issues from a political perspective that we've got to think through. But where I do think there's opportunity, especially in the world I live in, is funding. We have enterprise cybersecurity issues in an SMB budget. Small and medium-sized. And I don't mean a community hospital. I'm talking about even the big boys. We had all this financial incentive from the government to digitize healthcare, ARA and, and high tech and all these policies, which were successful. And look, there's a lot of debate about whether or not care is more coordinated now or not. There's pockets of that. That's kind of a separate debate. But where is the equal funding and incentive to secure that thing? We haven't seen it. Like we've gone to a digital world. And, I, you know, I think we talked about like what the national, international policies might be. And I, and I like this notion that says, hey, I spotted a bad thing from a bad place and tell everybody, but I also hear what you're saying is that if that bad actor is a state, a state-sponsored group, they can say they've spotted something and, and make people do things that maybe open up more vulnerabilities. So I just hope that we can get our best and brightest on this. This is why we need great math education. We need great computer science education. We need to fund those at our universities, our high schools, and keep those people in the country. Dan, what about individuals? I mean, how do we do our part? I know like people tell you something as easy as be careful what you click, but you know, if you were going to look at the listeners to the Common Bridge and the viewers of the Common Bridge and you say, here's what you need to do today, what would you tell them? I would tell everybody to, uh, first and foremost, understand the most vulnerable population, which is the elderly population. And so I'll tell you a story real, very quickly, Rich. So, you know, back in the day, my, my wife, my mother-in-law would got exploited through the mail. So I walk in her house and she's got all these you know, mails to like donate to things. And she's given $5 here and $10 here, you know, and that was kind of a common exploit, you know, in the 90s, 2000s, right? Like let's, let's mail out a bunch of stuff and try to get some money and checks. What that looks like today, and this is a story I heard last week, was an elderly woman got spoofed, which means tricked, that Amazon needed her account to return something. And so she clicked the link, she gave the $31 cause she knew that she had bought something from Amazon. It looked just like Amazon. Through that malware, they got access to her bank account and transferred $300,000 out of oh. her account, which was her entire life savings. And they tricked her to initiate the trade. So first and foremost, folks that grew up in this digital era, they would raise questions. They would check their Amazon account. They would match the dollars. They would, I didn't return that, you know, but we got to make sure that the most vulnerable understand that these spoofing activities are real because that's where they're targeting these individuals because they're the most susceptible. Cyber criminals are lazy, Rich. They're going to go to the most vulnerable and the easiest. So that would be the first thing is, you know, I'm very diligent about that. And then for everyone, I would say it's said a lot, and but lots of people don't do it. Don't have the same password for everything. Change your passwords often. And almost everywhere you could bank, all your social medias, enable the two-author or multi-factor authentication. You talked about that. Get the text and the email. Those are things that are extraordinarily important. And I would encourage everybody to do that. And then the last thing is have some common sense about if something's not right. Because we all grew up with the internet where it was like, oh, the Russian prince or princess calls you and is going to give you, you know, $6 million. Well, that doesn't work anymore. So it's all these small kind of things that look very 
close to where you actually and how you actually live your life. And so if you haven't talked to this organization or you haven't bought anything there lately or it doesn't seem right, it's probably not. So have this common sense about and perspective about what's being uh, you know, emailed to you. And let me just pile on there a couple ways too that people should understand if you didn't initiate something to your bank or to PayPal or to Amazon or to your healthcare provider or the Social Security Administration, you're not getting something back. They don't do it that way. And I just want to amplify, Dan, the point you made about don't use the same password because the username and password that you've got on your bank account, the bad guys have that. And what they do is they, they just try it on millions of websites to see if it'll open any other doors. So all of your sign-ons, all of your passwords need to be unique. And there's software that can do that. Uh, Dan, this has really been insightful. I think you brought to life a lot of what is a very kind of opaque and esoteric part of the economy. What didn't we cover that maybe we should have talked about? Wow, Rich, that's that's a that's a great question. Within the yeah. next three hours. Yeah, that's right. How much time do I have to, to, to unpack that one? Um, no, it's, uh, you know, look, I think I think we've, we've covered a lot here today, Rich. I think that there is an opportunity for us to collaborate, I think, more as healthcare cyber experts, as we, as we talked about. I do think there's a place and we got to figure out how to do it. And I know there's lots of folks on the Hill thinking about it to help fund cybersecurity at the federal level that's actually going to drive and reduce risk. That That's key. And I think you know, the administrations, you know, both past and present have been thinking about this. But look, I think this is the future of uh, society. It's not going anywhere. And the last comment I would make that you that you barely touched on is there's 3.5 million cybersecurity jobs open in the world today. We've got to start educating our youth. We've got to start educating. I'm working with a number of colleges to put certificate programs in place because this isn't going to go anywhere, Rich. And we've got to start making sure that in the early uh, in the early years, we're equipping our people at the personal level to protect themselves, but also um, investing in the future of our country by allowing individuals to learn about cybersecurity and become experts. Dan, that is a great wrap up, a great summation that, look, we need to have better policy and better coordination from our government. That's their job. And also that our education system needs to be educating our young people because these are the jobs of the future. And I I would suspect we could build a curriculum at the high school level And if you want to do that, I happen to have one that I work with quite closely, and I'd like to see some champion cybersecurity people. So, Rich, I got I got to add one thing to that. I'd love we'll we'll talk about that for sure. But the other thing that's really important, and I've I've talked to a number of universities. You mentioned the SMU Advisory Board, but also the speed to which cybersecurity is changing is faster than the way that the educational system can evolve. So it's it's this cultural problem within the educational system, because if we don't allow the curriculum to evolve, certainly on an annual basis, it becomes challenging. And then the accreditation and all the things. So it's a complicated you know, uh, opportunity for us uh, as a country. Absolutely. And we've talked about education. We've got some uh, guests coming up, but that model of someone's going to go away to four years of college and come out and be ready to work. I mean, it's bypassed them. And I, look, I, I can tell you that in my career as a young programmer, computer programmer, there wasn't a college curriculum to go to. I had to learn it on the job yep. and you know, grateful for the people that provided me those opportunities. Dan, this has been fantastic today. Any closing thoughts 
for our audience? Uh, no, I would just like to, uh, you know, you mentioned the pandemic at the beginning. I hadn't had a chance to mention that. Um, you know, we've, we've had the honor to work with lots of healthcare organizations. Um, those those organizations have been through a lot. They've protected our community. So so thank you to all of the, the heroes of healthcare and uh, the cyber healthcare experts out there as well. So really appreciate it. And, and humble to be part of the community. So thank you. It's a very, very pointed comment and one that everyone should embrace. Brian Peters was our most recent guest, and uh, we concluded with a hug a healthcare worker uh, after you've had your vaccine. We've been talking today with the Chief Executive Officer of Fortified Health Security, Dan Dodson, about cybercrime, cyber attacks, cybersecurity around the globe within businesses, individuals, and within the healthcare community. Please subscribe and rate, rate as high if you would, please, on your favorite podcast channel, Amazon, Apple, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or at YouTube TV, Richard Helpy's Common Bridge. And of course, register for free at richardhelpy.com. This is Rich Helpy with our guest, Dan Dodson, signing off on the Common Bridge. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.